0: Now if you got your Bibles open to Ecclesiastes chapter 3 Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and then Acts chapter 18. Well, after 17 weeks, we are finally going to conclude Paul's second missionary journey. All right? Uh, I do love these really, really long sermon series for some reason. And so we've gone through every single verse. We will close it out today uh, at the end of of Paul's journey. Uh, But uh, we will jump in. And here's what I decided Uh, we've got a series that we're going to do that's on the life of Absalom that'll be coming up, but it's going to be another really long series. And uh, uh, because of that, I'm going to do something I haven't done in a long time. And that is, I'm going to preach a four-week series, all right? Uh, Starting next week, we'll do a very short series on specifically peter's uh r- mistakes and uh and the uh, reconciliation that come in john chapter 20 and john chapter 21 and so i'll uh, be a short series that kind of leads us up to our christmas series and then in january we'll jump in and have the long series where we go through uh, the life of absalom and his journey and so just wanted to give you guys the heads up three series coming up pretty quick uh, but we'll finish out paul's series this week um so here's what's interesting if you've ever been a part of a time in your life where it was really, really exciting and big and I mean just a lot of things taking place and then all of a sudden the end was kind of non-eventful, that's what we're about to read for the end of Paul's second missionary journey. It starts off like a rocket. I mean, everybody cheering and so excited. Remember, he parts ways with Barnabas. He's gone this stretch uh, without uh, his security blanket of uh, the man who believed in him and stepped up for him and Barnabas, and then all of a sudden we get here to Acts chapter 18 and- in verse 18, and uh, the passage that we're in, is just so interesting. There's transition that happens, and Paul is going to teach us how to transition from one intense phase of life to another. If you're taking notes, our big million dollar, or, or excuse me, our question to start off today is, have you ever experienced the end of an intense season in your life? Have you ever experienced the end of an intense season in your life? For some of you, uh, it was when you moved from one school group to another, uh, where you made a transition from one school to another, uh, or even uh, a time of graduation. For some of you, it was moving to a new city, taking a new job, it's marriage, it's relationships, it's a breakup, it's COVID, it's a faith jump that God has called you to. But if you've ever been in one of those circumstances where you've had to endure transition, here's what you figured out. Transition and change are constant in this life that we live. Save your spot there uh, in Acts 18, but look at Ecclesiastes 3, and let's start in verse 1. Here's what it says. Famous verse, there is a time for everything. Underline a time for everything a season and a season for every activity under heaven underline under heaven just for a minute now just for the record i've always heard this verse kind of quoted there's a time and a place for everything the picture that the author is really trying to say here if you want to write this in the flap of your bible you can there is a set time for everything the idea with this verse is not that you can do whatever you want whenever you want. The picture in the verse is if you are the type of person who has lived through a stretch of life where it has been so intense you feel like that intensity is never going to stop. There is a set time for everything under heaven. That means that the consistency of eternity, when we spend time with God in heaven, that is the one place where consistency is going to find its way all throughout eternity. This side of heaven, the only Consistency is that everything is inconsistent. There's a season to everything. No matter how awful things have been, they will eventually come to an end. On the opposite side, no matter how good things have been, they will eventually come to an end. There's a season unto everything. There is a set time for everything. Sometimes what the enemy loves to get us on is is when we go through a time that's so difficult, he then turns and whispers in our ears, it's never going to stop. It's always going to be this way. And then we end up thinking through doing some things that are pretty unthinkable and awful. It starts with that whisper. It will never change. It is going to be this awful forever. The scripture reminds us there's a time, a set time for everything and a season for every activity Under the sun, there will be a beginning and there will be an end to all things this side of heaven. So I learned this working at the finest restaurant in America, Red Lobster. All right, okay. We used to at Red Lobster have an event that was called. Endless shrimp. You ever heard of endless shrimp before? Now here's what's funny about endless shrimp, okay? It always takes place in October, and endless shrimp, it's why this time of year always reminds me of it. Endless shrimp, if you are the customer, endless is the word you want to hear. That you can eat as much of it as you want and they will continue to bring it to your table. But if you're the server, endless shrimp means something completely different. Endless means it will never stop. Continue to ask for shrimp from now until forever. And it always was extra tough for us. I grew up, I grew up in Lubbock, Texas, but went to school at Oklahoma State uh, in Stillwater, Oklahoma. It was a rough day for Tech and for OSU yesterday, just uh, for the record. Uh, and uh, I'll never forget, I'm in Stillwater, and uh, um, what they would do is that there were three different times that you could schedule for a football game, 1 o'clock, 2.30, and then at 7 o'clock if you were the big game of the week. Well, for the most part during that time, OSU was not very good, Uh, and because of that, we got a whole lot of 1 p.m. start times. And so uh, that meant, waiting tables at Red Lobster, that meant that I could go to the first two quarters of the football game and then work a shift that evening, but it was so, so busy. Basically, the game would be over at around 4 o'clock, and you would have people straight through from 4 p.m. until 10.59 when we closed the doors, people were still walking in. And a typical ticket time at Red Lobster was about 45 minutes per table. Within the shrimp, it bumped up to an hour and 15 minutes per table. Some tables even stayed longer, but it was an hour and 15 minutes average per table. And so that meant if somebody walked in at 1059, that you weren't going home until about one o'clock in the morning. And man, those shrimp tails got everywhere. You had to clean up. That was part of our side work before we could go home. And so here's what would happen. At about 8 p.m., when the restaurant was completely full and everybody's asking, for shrimp over and over and over again, I'm telling you, there's a point where we'd look up and we'd be like, it's never going to end. It's never going to end. These people are so crazy. They want all this stuff. Plus, if OSU had lost, I mean, it made it even worse, right? And so I'm telling you, just the, the, the attitude, we're running and we're running. But here's what I learned. It eventually ended. It eventually was over. And if I could keep my head through the mess... And prepare for the time of transition, then I was gonna go home with some money in my pocket because those were big days where everything was super busy and people usually tipped pretty well. If you're taking notes, some of you needed to hear this today. You ready? It is irrational to believe that everything in our lives will remain the same, good or bad. Transition is coming. Let me say that again. It is irrational to believe that everything in our lives will remain the same, good or bad. Transition is coming. We sang a beautiful song about speaking Jesus over all the problems that we have in this world. Part of speaking the name Jesus is acknowledging that he is over all, that he is in all, that he is through all, and that he is in charge of everything in this world uh, that is good uh, that we can take hold of. The picture is to remember when the enemy whispers in your ear, it's bad and it's never going to get any better, that that is a lie straight from the pits of hell. It will end at some point things will change. Things will be different. Transition is coming. So it begs our big million dollar question today. How do we handle the end of an intense season? How do we handle the end of an intense season? Paul is going to walk us through it in a beautiful manner to show us how he can move from the intensity of the second missionary journey, the first one he's done without the security blanket of Barnabas, He's going to show us how to transition to what God has next for him. There are some of you here in the message today, and it is going to speak to you right where you are. I mean, it's been a time of transition and craziness, and you've experienced a whole lot of change during this time period, or change is right on the horizon, and you need to know how to go into that time with a fresh heart and a fresh mind. And for others of you, this is a very intense city, and change happens all the time. Maybe you need to file this one away for another day. Wherever you are, today's a great, note, a great lesson to take notes on. You ready? Now jump into Acts chapter 18, and let's read about the end of Paul's second missionary journey. Here's what it says. Acts 18, verse 18. It says, So Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Now look at this. This is so interesting. Before he sailed... He had his hair cut off at Sincrea, because of a vow that he had taken. Now, circle, highlight, and underline the vow that Paul had taken. Now, just for the record, um, in uh, in Greek, you get to study kind of where the verbs uh, where the verbs connect and uh, what they talk about. There is some discussion that the vow could have been taken by Priscilla and Aquila, and that's why it's listed here. But almost all scholars are in agreement. Luke is telling Paul's story, and so the author here in Acts is making sure he points out specifically what was going on in Paul's life, and I agree that after my study as well. So we're going to preach it from that perspective today. So, what does Paul do here? After planting all these churches, after going through the Supreme Court case uh, with Gallio that we preached about last week, all of a sudden we come into this circumstance where Paul takes this vow where he cuts off his hair as he's on his way back to Antioch so that he can finish out the missionary journey. If you're taking notes, write this down. How should we handle the end of an intense season? Number one, find time for personal reflection. Find time for personal reflection. Most scholars believe that if this is Paul taking this vow, that it's the vow of the Nazarite from Numbers chapter 6, verses 1 through 21. You'll have to read that right now, but for those of you Bible scholars out there, you can go back and read it. Here's the gist of the vow. The gist of the vow was if you had gone through a time where you wanted to make sure that you were spiritually on point and on track, the Nazarites were the ones that were known with living their entire lives before God, even to the point of with what they ate or what they drank or the way that they grew their hair. And so the vow of the Nazarite was you shaved your head to start the vow. You live for God so zealously that even the hair that you grow is godly hair that comes out of you. I'm not telling you to do this vow. I'm just telling you uh, that's what they did in these olden days. And then at the end of the vow, they would shave their head again and place the hair on the altar to God. And the symbol there was the godliness that I lived during this time was all unto you. So here's what's interesting. Don't miss this. Paul's just planted churches all over the known world. Paul's just gone through the Supreme Court case that we talked about last week that lead blocked so that he could plant churches and the churches could thrive all throughout the Roman Empire. And yet, at the end of this journey, Paul stops and says, there's some things in me that I need to work on through this time, and I need to get my mind spiritually right before I go out and do something like this again. We forget... Because we get so busy when things are moving so fast. A lot of us, and I'm preaching to the choir. This is me myself on this one. I'll get running and I'm a doer. So I'm doing all these things for the kingdom. I'm trying to live for God. And I sometimes get to the point where I'm running so hard that a time of transition will come and instead of stopping and looking back at the journey that God's brought me through and then stopping to look in the mirror at who I'm becoming in Christ, instead, I just run and leap to the next thing and just keep moving forward. What Paul does here at this moment of transition, the world that he's been involved in is so intense around him, he needs to stop, look back at what he's been through, process through the amazing things that God has done and then look in the mirror and realize this is who I'm becoming with these things that I've been doing. If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? Intense experiences find a way to embed themselves in our faces. Let me say that again. Intense experiences find a way to embed themselves in our faces. You ever gone through a really intense time and then you finally stop and you look in the mirror And even though you look every day and you get ready, you got that moment when you stop and you really look. Guys, when we moved here to plant the church, I had black hair and lots of it, you know. And now can I just tell you, we've been through an intense time. Right before my 40th birthday, there was a moment where I stopped, looked in the mirror, and I was like, who is that old man staring at me? Sometimes every now and again we'll watch the live feed to make sure everything's flowing properly And I will turn around and man the lights are really good, you know for the video uh, As long as I don't turn around if I turn around it's like who is that bald man up on stage, right now listen to me After we've gone through intense times you look different You're different some of it because christ is shining through you And some of it because man life is just stinking hard life is brutal What does Paul do in the midst of church planting? And it was going to be a constant need. He stops and says, I got to work on myself just a little bit. I've got to allow Christ to work on me in relationship before I can move forward to what's next. When's the last time you did that? I want to share a story with you. I've told you the long version of the story before, so I'll keep it short. I think probably for me, the time that I needed personal reflection the most happened after a very, very intense moment. Maybe the most intense time that we had here in D.C. was not the death of my father or even the planting of the church. The most intense month that we had here was right after our daughter Lulu had her first seizure. This was in December of 2016. And uh, just for the record, there's some of you in this room who navigate seizures or who have loved ones who navigate seizures. What's the scariest seizure for anyone? The first one. Because you don't know what's coming. You learn how to plan after that, but the first time you don't know what's coming and it just shows up. And I'm telling you, uh, it changes the way you view all sorts of things. And for us, um, I was supposed to go and preach in California uh, at an event for Ethiopian Christian college students. And uh, we were going to fly the whole family with us. It was New Year's Eve week and we were going to fly the whole family with us. Uh, I'd preach at the event and then we were going to take the kids to Disneyland. Uh, that was the plan. I'll never forget I'm laying next to Lulu in the bed, and uh, Lulu's about six years old, our oldest daughter, and um, the idea was, let's get her to sleep, get her a good nap, and then we'll get on the plane to fly across country. And all of a sudden, she evacuated her bowels right there on the bed. That hadn't happened in years. Um, She was our kid that potty trained very early, and so she's laying there, She evacuates her bowels, and I can tell she's real groggy. Well, I just think it's because of the nap. And I go, oh, sweetheart, we got to get you cleaned up. We're about to get on the plane. And Autumn and I lead her up, go to get her in the shower. And then all of a sudden, her arms shoot out like tree branches, and she has her first and, praise God, only seizure. Now, we don't know it's going to be the only seizure at this time. But she shoots out, and then for minutes, she utilizes her entire day's energy all into that one moment. It's like a battery that just exudes all the energy, and then all of a sudden uh, it's drained. And so she has this moment. We called Jamie Clack, a member of our church. As she sings up here on stage, and her husband, Alan, plays drums for us quite a bit. We knew that their family had navigated seizures, and so we called, told Jamie, and she said, "Yeah, hey, you need to call an ambulance right now. She goes, that's what I think's happening, but you need to call an ambulance. Well, we call the ambulance Lulu finishes the seizure, and then at the end of the seizure, she collapses on the floor and is completely unconscious. Well, again, she's drained, but at the time, we don't know if she's going to wake up again. And So there she is on the ground, and I remember just holding her. The paramedics come in. They were so kind, they asked me to carry her to the ambulance, and then we told Autumn, I was like, I'm going to stay with her this whole stretch. And so um, I go with her to the hospital. On the way to the hospital, I think the scariest moment was they took an IV and they jabbed it into her six year old arm and they missed. And when they did, blood shot out and it got all over me, but blood shot out. And when it did, she didn't even flinch. And that was the time I think that I was the absolute most scared. And so, have you ever just been so scared, and nervous about something, you cry but no sound comes out? I mean, it was just like tears pouring down my cheeks and I didn't know what to do. I just prayed and prayed. Praise God, four hours later, she wakes up. God gives a great gift to those who have seizures because Lulu didn't remember any of it. And for us, again, we're trying to take care of her. Well, three days pass. We get new information. We're at Children's National up here, and they were so good to us. Um, We finish up at Children's National. They give us plans for what we need to do moving forward, but everything had just been so intense. And I remember when it was all over. We pull up at the house, get Lulu inside, and our friends, Rod and Jennifer Johnson, were there to greet us. And when we walked in, Rod and Jennifer had this look of shock and horror on their face when they looked at me. And I said, You guys okay? They were like, Are you okay? They said, You need to go take a shower. And I said, What are you talking about? I "I just got home. And they were like, Just go upstairs. And Autumn was like, Yeah, you need to go take a shower. Well, at that point, I go upstairs. And I look in the mirror, and I've got feces on the side of my body, of my shirt, and I've got blood on my face because of where the IV had spouted out. But everything had been so intense for three days, it had been all about her. Well, I get in the shower, and I'm like crinkled up in the corner, and I remember Autumn with all her clothes on climbs in the shower and wraps her arm around me, and we just cried together. In that moment, it was so intense. We needed a moment of self reflection to realize exactly what it was that had happened. Now, praise God, Lulu has not had one single seizure since that day. Hallelujah. Now, listen, for some of you, you got blood on your face and you got feces on your shirt, all right? You have been through, either literally or figuratively, you have been through a time where you are wearing the pain that you've gone through, the difficulty that you've navigated and it would do you well to stop and to look in the mirror. How are you changing? Is it for the better? And honestly, what is the Lord cultivating in you for his glory? Take some time, look in the mirror, and then analyze the journey. And there's not a single one of us in this room that's lived in this city that wasn't touched by the events of the last 19 months. I'm telling you, we are different for better or worse because of what we've experienced here the last 19 months. And for some of you, you ran through the intensity and you just jumped right into another fire right after that. Take some time. Look in the mirror. Look over the journey and spend some time. And if you need to take a vow, a vow, by the way, doesn't mean you need to do some weird Nazarite thing from Numbers chapter 20 or Numbers chapter 6. A vow means maybe you need to spend time with Almighty God that He might restore you. We get a picture of that in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 17 and 18. Here's what it says. Beautiful verses. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. It says, and this by the way, I love it because it's Paul writing specifically to the church at Corinth that he's just left in the passage that we're reading. Verse 17, it says, Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what? There is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces, look at this, all reflect the Lord's glory. Underline all reflect the Lord's glory. And we are being transformed into his likeness with the ever increasing glory that comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Stop right there for just a minute. Paul says that when we go after an intense circumstance and we seek out relationship with Almighty God, he says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? There is freedom. When we spend time with Him in relationship, the chains that are on our spirit, the chains that are on our physical bodies, the chains that are on us emotionally, He chips away and He sets us free. When we've spent those intense moments with Him, we then begin to reflect Him and are transformed into a likeness of His glory. But you got to spend time with God. you got to get alone with Him in relationship. Paul has planted churches all around the known world. There is no more capable church planter than him. But Paul knows if I'm going to do this again, I got to get myself right spiritually. I got to let the Lord restore me. It begs the question, how has this time affected you? And is your faith stronger or weaker? He said again, how has this time affected you? And is your faith stronger or is it weaker after this time? Find some time for personal reflection. Now flip back over to Acts chapter 18, and we're going to read some really crazy verses. Are you ready for this? Something Paul that I don't, I don't know that he ever did this again in the same way. You ready? Now look at Acts 18, verses 19 through 21. It says, then they arrived at Ephesus. Underline, they arrived at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila, and he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Now, when they ask him to spend more time with them, what do those next two words say? He declined. I want you to circle, highlight, and underline. He declined. This is crazy. Paul declined to preach. There might not be anyone other than me that loves to preach that much, right? It's Paul. But Paul declined to preach. Now look at why. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it's the Lord's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. Now stop right there for just a minute. All throughout the second missionary journey, Paul goes into the synagogue, he preaches, and either they run him out of town or they ask him to stick around. He goes into Ephesus, which will end up being one of the pivotal churches of the entirety of Europe. He goes into Ephesus, preaches for the first time in the synagogue, and they're like, bro, let's do it. Come back, plant a church here. Jesus is at work, and here's Paul knowing that he personally needs some time, knowing that he personally needs to develop that relationship with God. But here it is, a really good thing, a church that he can start in a pivotal city. And what happens? Paul looks and says, guys, I'm going to have to pass. But if it's the Lord's will... I'll be back if you're taking notes write this down are you ready some of the whole Some of the whole reason you're here today is to hear this How should we handle the end of an intense season number one find time for personal reflection and number two Be willing to say no for now to a few things Be willing to say no for now to a to to a few things In this passage, it's so interesting if you've got a bible that's got subtitles Look with me, if you will, at Acts chapter 19, verse 1. What does the little subtitle say there? It should say something like Paul in Ephesus. Can I tell you why that's so funny in light of Acts chapter 18? Acts 18, he goes, Lord, I've got to do this. I've got to plant this church in Ephesus, but I know that personally I'm not in the place that I can do that. I need to get some rest. So what happens in the passage? All of a sudden, Paul looks and says, I've got to decline. I have to politely say no, but if it's the Lord's will, I'll be back. And then as soon as it's the Lord's will, one chapter later, Paul is there to plant the church in Ephesus. For some of you, if you are a yes-first person like me, this verse really spoke to me. Because if I can say yes to you, I really, really try to. If you're a yes-first person, it is okay to decline on certain things. And you don't have to say no forever. Just no for now. Something I got to take care of before I jump into what's next. Now, I always get afraid to preach this because then you know first people are like, yep, that's why I don't say yes to anything. <laughs> if you're no first, this verse wasn't for you. If you're a yes first person, which there are a lot of us in this city, that's why you're here. You're workers, you doers. If you're a doer, you need to know. Paul sees a good thing So good that he wants to be a part of it as soon as he can. He begs God, if it be the Lord's will, I'll be back here with you. But for now, I got to go work on some things in my own life. He's there in Acts 19. Acts 18, he's got to work on himself. If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? Some of the issues that demand your attention can wait. Seek the Spirit's guidance on what they are. Some of the issues that demand your attention can wait. Seek the, Spirit, seek the Spirit's guidance on what they are. It's a great little movie. Came out, uh, I think it was 2008 when it came out, called Iron Man. Anybody see Iron Man, all right? Kind of kicked off the whole Marvel multiverse movie scene. And uh, have anybody seen Iron Man? Raise your hand. Okay, there's quite a few of us in here. So there is a sidekick that develops for uh, Iron Man named War Machine. But what's the actual character's name? Do you remember? Rhodey, that's right. Rhodes, Colonel Rhodes. In the series, it's interesting, if you go back and watch the original Iron Man, Rhodey will end up being War Machine, and he's going to use the Iron Man suit to fly around and to help him for the whole rest of his career, for every other Marvel movie that's made, right? Rhodey's going to be in that Iron Man suit alongside the rest of the Avengers. But here's what happens. In the first Iron Man movie, Colonel Rhodes shows up, to try to help Tony Stark get his little heart machine back in or whatever it is he's got in his chest, right? And he's trying to get him set. And do you remember the scene? He's about to go. Iron Man's going to go and fight the big bad guy. And Colonel Rhodes looks at him and says, can I do something to help? And do you remember? All of a sudden, Iron Man looks at him and goes, keep the skies clear. Poof, flies out, and then he goes to fight the main bad guy, Jeff Bridges or some Bridges. Anyway, he goes to fight that guy. Anyway, flies out. Poof. Well, do you remember what happens right after that? He turns, Rhodes turns, and sees the Iron Man suit that he will wear as War Machine for the rest of the Marvel Multiverse. He turns and he sees it right there. And do you remember? The whole point of Iron Man 1 was Iron Man learning how to use the suit, was learning how to use all the power and all that stuff, learning how to harness it. Well, Rhodes at that point, even though he wants to help in the fight, he doesn't have the training in how to use the suit that he will wear for the rest of his career. He doesn't have that ability. So what does he do? Seeing the suit and realizing if he jumps into it, he's not going to be a help At this point, he's going to be a hindrance. He turns and says the famous line, next time, baby. And he turns and walks out the door. Now, listen to me. There are some of you that are going through a time in your life where personally, there are some things that the Lord wants to work on, that he wants to shape in you, that he wants to prepare you for. And you turn and you get a glimpse of what could be in Ephesus. You get a glimpse of what could be in a great relationship. You get a glimpse of what could be in a great job situation, what could be in a large client that you could take on, what could be in a growth in your family or spiritual situation. And here all of a sudden, here is this thing, this Iron Man suit in front of you, but if you're not in the right mindset in the right moment, you could really end up hurting yourself and someone else. So guess what you got to do? Paul looks at Ephesus and goes, man, this is going to be a cool Iron Man suit. Next time, baby, if it be the Lord's will, I'll be back. Now, just for the record, that term has been stolen as a way to cop out. If it be the Lord's will, I'll be back. What that really means is I don't want to, but if God forces me to, I will do it. You know what in context, if the Lord's will is, if the Lord's will is Paul going, man, I want to do this one, man, this is a good idea, man, the church in Ephesus could grow, it'd be so powerful, but I got to take care of where I am spiritually so that the foundation can be laid properly. Next time, baby, next time. If you're taking notes, begs the question, are there pressing invitations that you need to politely decline? Are there pressing invitations that you need to politely decline? Do you know why people get mad at you when you say no? Because a lot of times you do it this way, and this is the voice of experience talking. You know up front you're supposed to say no. You know. And instead of like Paul saying it right off the bat, instead you go, I'm going to try to make it work. I'm going to try to make it work. And you know it's not going to work. But you go, I'm going to try to make it work. I'm going to try to make it work. And then all of a sudden, you get a few days or even a few hours before the event. And you place a call and you go, hey, I just can't do it. I'm sorry. You know why they're mad at you? It's not because you said no. Listen to me. They're mad at you because you made them wait. And you knew from before that it wasn't anything you could ever do. That's when they get mad. For some of you in powerful positions, your family doesn't get mad because you got to do other stuff. They know that you're important. They know that you're busy. They get ticked when you tell them, I'll be there, I'll be there, I'll be there. (sighs) Sorry, things changed. Nothing changed. They know that you were always going to say no. Mm -hmm. Paul up front, next time, baby. If it be the Lord's will, and I pray it is. Next time I'm going to be there first thing. Chapter 19, verse 1. He's headed back towards Ephesus. He doesn't go there first, but man, he is on the way as quickly as he possibly can for missionary journey number three. Is that how you work? Are you the one that goes, I'll just let him figure it out along the line? That's great for you. That stinks for them. Is that a good word? Moving on. Last verse, and we'll call it a day. Look at Acts 18, and now let's look at verse 22. And this will conclude Paul's missionary journey. It says, when he landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church, and then he went down to Antioch. I always find it funny. Remember, he's preached in every church. In Caesarea, he's so tired, he greets the church, and then he goes ahead and heads back to his precious Antioch. Jerusalem is the hub for the, is the, hub for the early church uh, that, uh, that are reaching the Jews. But Antioch, Antioch has ended up the Gentile hub place that's the miracle of miracles, the first church that he and Barnabas founded together. And all of a sudden, we have this beautiful ending to the story. He's got to get back to Antioch, not because it was a magical place, but because it reminded him who he was in Christ. If you're taking notes, write this down. How should we handle the end of an intense season? Number one, find time for personal reflection. Number two, be willing to say no for now to a few things. And number three, visit the godly places and people that reset you. Visit the godly places and people that reset you. There are certain places that we go and people that we meet that when we are around them, it's a reminder of how far we've come in Christ. Or if we've drifted away, they remind us of who we could be again in Christ. For better or worse, you know where that place is for me? Lubbock, in Texas. I love Lubbock, Texas. I moved there when I was seven years old. Lived there all the way through high school, which for a minister, for their kids to spend all that time in one place, is really a feat. It's kind of like coaching. I mean, you move a lot. And we were in Lubbock for that huge stretch of time in my life. And then I went to Oklahoma State for four and a half years. And after I graduated from OSU, I told the Lord, I'll move anywhere but back home to Lubbock, Texas. You ever tell God that you'd move anywhere except back home? It's usually typically where he wants you to go. I end up going back home, end up moving back into Lubbock, moving back to Lubbock. I lived with my grandparents and slept on their couch for a time. And what the Lord had waiting for me there was my first ministry job. I got to meet and fall in love with my wife. We got to see God do some amazing things and further the vision of what would become Waterfront Church. The Lord spent a whole lot of time restoring us there Then we went off, served in ministry, and then after I spent time at First Baptist Church in Wichita Falls, Texas, that's the one where the long, the short version was, I quit without another job. Only time in my entire life I've ever done that. I quit without another job, was so beat up. I needed a chance to heal, and guess where the Lord sent us back? To Lubbock, Texas. I ended up in Lubbock. We spent the month without a job in Lubbock, and then the Lord provided a job where I could work there as discipleship pastor, associate pastor, and then interim pastor of a church in Lubbock right before we moved here to Plant Waterfront. If something ever happened to me here, you know where you could probably find me? In Lubbock, Texas, all right? In our Antioch, because that's where the Lord always seems to send us when we need to heal. Now listen to me. Nothing magic about Lubbock, but there are certain places in your life, and it's not Hawaii, all right? Everybody can rest in Hawaii, right? Right? <laughs> Spiritual rest, spiritual rest. Some of you, it is Hawaii, all right? It's a place where you go and you are reminded that he who started the work will be faithful to complete it in you. Not just in you, but also in those that the Lord has had you interact with in the past. And then sometimes it's people. It's those individuals that you call that remind you it's not so stinking bad. They remind you God is still on his throne. God is still at work. Anytime I have a church issue, I end up spending an hour and a half with a guy named Cody Whitfield on the phone. Cody planted a church 14 years ago. It's about twice the spiritual journey we are with Waterfront, but when I call Cody, the Lord gives me great hope and reminds me that he's on his throne. When I've had personal issues over the years, a guy named Nolan Frederick, church planted in Artesia, New Mexico. When I talk to Nolan, he's been one of my dearest friends for more than a decade. When I talk to Nolan... He just gives me great reset whenever I have issues about my dad. Greg Wallace, ironically, another church planter. He's in his late 70s, though. I call Greg Wallace, and I can hear my father's voice when I talk to him. It resets me and helps me so greatly. And then anytime there's a family issue, my grandmother Randall's, who had a birthday this week, 93 years old. I talk to my grandmother, and I remember it's not so bad. I remember again that God is on his throne. He's still at work, and it blesses me no end. You realize God has given you those places and given you those people. You didn't earn them. You didn't achieve them. They're not by accident. He's given those people and places to you so that when you need to reset, you can go to that rest stop and you can remember who you are and that God is still working on you. If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? No one is meant to exist in chaos all the time. Extraordinary lives are still peppered with ordinary moments. Say that again. No one is meant to exist in chaos all the time. Extraordinary lives are still peppered with ordinary moments. That statement has heavier weight in a place like DC because we become addicted to the chaos, right? It's constant, it can be addictive just like a drug. Those ordinary moments are a gift from God that we need to receive. It's one thing to hear it from Paul, but I want to read you one last set of verses and we'll call it a day. Flip over to John chapter 12 and let's read verses 1 through 3. It's pretty cool to get to see a principle play out in Paul's life. It's even more powerful when you see it play out in Jesus' life. Look at John chapter 12 and let's read verses 1 through 3. Here's what it says. It says six days before the Passover. Now stop right there for just a minute. In this passage, this is not just any Passover. This is the Passover where Jesus will be the sacrifice lamb of God. Six days before the most intense, uh, the most intense stretch, the most intense uh, intense day in the history of humanity. This week might even be the most intense week in the history of the world. Six days before the Passover, Jesus is going to be brutally murdered on the cross, and then he'll be resurrected three, days later. But man, this moment is key. Look at what happens. He retreats and finds godly places and people that reset him. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany. Underline and highlight Bethany. It was a suburb of Jerusalem, just on the outskirts where Lazarus lived. Underline where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, Underlined, Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table. Then Mary, Underlined, then Mary, took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Stop right there for just a minute. Jesus is at a time of transition on his way into Jerusalem, on his way to the cross. The Passion Week, like I said, might be the most intense in the history of humanity. And on the way, he stops at the rest stop. He stops at Bethany where Lazarus is, the man that he raised from the dead. And not just Lazarus, but Martha, so grateful, always serving throws a banquet in jesus's honor and mary comes out with a pint of pure nard you know what pure nard was it wasn't just perfume it was the stuff you mixed with water to make perfume it was very very potent if you put too much nard in a room the room would smell that way some scholars believe for a week or even weeks she takes this bottle she couldn't have bought it herself Scholars are in agreement that probably was the entire village that went in to buy Jesus that bottle of pure nard. And instead of saving it and watering it down, they break the top of the bottle and they anoint Jesus for his burial. They don't even know it's going to be for his burial. And they anoint him in that moment. One scholar wrote this so beautiful that it is possible six days later as Jesus hangs on the cross It is possible that he could have still smelled that sweet smell of perfume from the moment that happened to Bethany. He didn't just die for the sins of the world. As he's on the cross, he remembered that he was doing this for his friends, for the ones that had honored him in Bethany this day before. Even Jesus needed some time to reset in the place of the miracle with the people that reminded him why he was doing this in the first place. I want to encourage you. It begs our final question. Who and where are the spiritual rest stops in your life? Who and where are the spiritual rest stops in your life? You would do very good to process those things. And then for some of you, it's time you planned a trip. Not to move forever. Sometimes when you're in the intensity of the chaos, you think, I just got to move home, Right? I just got to move home. I just got to get out of here. Can I just tell you that's happened to me twice, all right? The rest of the times, I just need some time. I need to reflect. I need to take a moment to say no to a few things that would be good, but for now, I just can't do it. And then again on this backside, get around godly people in the godly places that remind you he who started the work will be faithful to complete it. Is that a good word today? I pray that you are blessed by it. And then thus concludes Paul's second missionary journey. I'd like to actually close the book on that. We'll jump into a new series coming up next week. But don't tune out. I want you to process how you're different because of the things we've heard today. Let's bow our heads for prayer.